here, you don't know, that's from the prizes, right? Some that maybe not grew up with that, but that's, that's awesome. Awesome. So 37, we're almost there. So that, that is really good. All right. Um, message today is piece two. And to get started, um, does anybody keep up with what we're doing to get to Mars? Anybody? Nobody? Oh, yeah, what we're doing. Farmington Baptist Church is a part of that process because we're going to be the first church to not only evangelize Mars, but um, have a satellite location, literally, on Mars that pumps our service there. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. So not many people read. We're, we're trying to get to Mars. There's people trying to get to Mars, try to get there, try to live. I think that is an amazing an amazing goal, like to, to think about that maybe people could live there on Mars. I do have a theological opinion on that and the possibility of that and if we're actually going to accomplish it, but it's just an opinion and it's for another time, not for this moment. But nonetheless, Mars, if someone offered me for free to be one of the first individuals to live on Mars and start a colony there, I would probably not do it. That is just not... Something that I think is cool, and I'm going to root for people as they as they do that. But I'm just I'm just kind of weird going that far and being away from Earth. I really like Earth, but this planet that we live on, and it's kind of odd. But I think it's an amazing goal. I think it's amazing for a country to be a part of that. I think uh, this, the thought processes that go in to try to get a craft there is incredible. It takes a long time to get a craft there. I mean, I think it's absolutely incredible. We're also working as a country, I don't know if you know this or not, we're working on um, colonizing the moon. Did you know that? That they're trying to set up people that could actually live on the moon. I don't know if you've noticed in the past couple of weeks, there has been, yes, I'm a nerd. Um, there's been a couple of articles about possibility of water on the moon. I also have my opinions on that. But nonetheless, they're trying to get people to moon. Now, I might not want to live on the moon, but I might would go there. I mean, I'm a little closer to going to the moon than I am going to Mars, and then it would be kind of this way. And just to let you know, based on my experience yesterday with Food Lion, I'd say 99% of the people aren't interested in going to the moon or Mars because of safety issues. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not trying to make, but I'm trying to say, I think the majority of people would not want to make that trip. I think we romanticize it, but we might not would want to make that trip. But I would, I would want to go to the moon and just walk on it. And, and then come back. I've been looking at the moon for years through a telescope. I've seen craters. I've, I've tried to find, my telescope isn't this powerful, but I, I would love to just see some of the junk that we've left on it. Oh, come on, there's stuff up there that we have left up there, right? That we've left up, it would be nice to see some of that just to see it, right? Um, you may know that another kind of big goal in life in, in our country is to send people to the space station, like real people like us, not just astronauts. And so recently, they sent four people there, and they're going to stay for six months, and then SpaceX is going to send four more, and they're going to switch them out. Have you all kept up with any of that? No, nobody? Yes, some people have? Yeah. I think it's, it's mind-blowing what goes into the complexity of sending somebody up there, even to a space station. It, it's just 
Absolutely mind-blowing. And there's another company in America that is trying to make it to where you can buy tickets to go up into space and then back down. So you would go up, take, you know, your little circle around the world or whatever, and then come back down. I would also be interested in that for this reason. I would love to be up there just to see the stars. Because I don't know if you know this or not, stars are different in different places. Like at my house in Louisville, the stars are different than they are here in Davie County. There's less light here, and you can see more of the stars in, in what's up in the galaxy. I've heard, though one day I would like to go out there to out west, I've heard that the stars out there are absolutely incredible. So it, there are different places in the world you can see more than you can here. So they're different in that particular aspect. So I think it would be absolutely incredible to hop on something like that and, and go around the world a couple of times just to see the star, just to see the moon a little closer. And I just think that would be absolutely incredible. All these things are, are stuff that, that like, wow, it's, it's great to dream that way. And it'd be nice to be a part of that somehow, right? It'd be nice to be a part of that somehow. I have a neighbor on a different note, that does cancer research. He's looking for a cure for a particular type of cancer. Um, before I met him, I thought that scientists like him just kind of broad stroked it. You know, we're just trying to see what works with this cancer, this cancer, this cancer. But no, 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 no. They work on a specific type of cancer. And my neighbor has come up with a few things, drugs, treatments, blah, 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 that actually limits... Um, the type of cancer he's working on, and in some cases have saved people's lives that had that particular type of cancer. Now, saving a life? I would rather do that than go to Mars, the moon, or see the stars. I mean, it, it would be great to be a part of something like that where, where you're actually trying to save a life and, and you're working on cancer and somebody's life is better because of the work that you have done here. Wouldn't that be great? Just to be a part of something like that. Now that thought I want you to hold on to as you turn to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. We're gonna read verse nine of Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, verse nine, and it says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Couple things. First, this is the beginning of the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever walked the face of the earth. If you wanna argue with me about that, you can leave and go to the Methodist. I'm just kidding. I'm just absolutely joking about that. But greatest message ever, right here, right here, greatest message ever. This is his introduction. And what he's doing is he's making some proclamations. He's making some announcements about the kingdom. These are not, if you are this, then this will happen. This is an announcement. So he's making an announcement to peacemakers, and he's saying that they shall be called the sons of God. Now, that word blessed has been misunderstood many times uh, with Christians. That word blessed does not mean happy. Turn to your neighbor and say, blessed does not mean happy. Does not mean happy. There are basically 
two Hebrew words and two Greek words that the Bible uses to describe blessed, okay? One of those words in both of the languages that coincide with each other means um, I'm going to bless you. Like if someone says, can you just pray a prayer blessing over my family? Can you pray a prayer blessing over my house? And then someone prays a prayer blessing over their house. Somebody prays a prayer blessing over their child. We do that often when we have the children come up and they're dedicated. We pray a prayer blessing for those children up here. So we're praying a blessing that God will bless the parents, God will bless the children. That's one of the words. The second set of words that mean the same thing, both in Hebrew and Greek, is this concept of blessed that is used here. And it would be something like, um, Ms. Janet is blessed. Ms. Janet is blessed. And you sit there a moment and say, well, why is Ms. Janet blessed? Well, Ms. Janet is blessed because she has a son and a daughter. She is blessed because she has a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law. She is blessed because she has beautiful grandchildren. Beautiful grandchildren. I've never heard anybody say, I've, I have ugly grandchildren. I've never heard that. Have you ever heard that before? I would love for somebody just to be that odd, and I'm just kidding. But she, she has beautiful grandchildren. Now, now listen to me a minute. That particular bless is nothing that she has really done. You realize that, right? I mean, I know she's the mother, but she hasn't done. Because when her son got married and when her daughter got married and they had these little grand, she really had nothing to do with that process at all. These children were born and she's now blessed with them. So we say that Ms. Ms. Janet is blessed. Now, her daughter, Sarah, okay, um, let's just say that in the will, Sarah gets the house. Let's just say that Sarah gets the house. I don't know who gets the house. I really don't care. That's not the point. She gets the house. And we all know that when Ms. Janet goes to see her husband in heaven, right, that Sarah will get the house and the land. At that moment, we would say that Sarah is blessed. She's blessed with something because she's a family member to Ms. Janet. She's blessed because that land and that house that she grew up in will be hers one day. She is blessed now, though she doesn't have it, and she's gonna be blessed in the future because she will have it. This is the type of blessing that is described here in this passage of scripture. Blessed are these people, whoever it is. And then it says what they're blessed with. They might not tangibly have it right now, but they're going to have it in the future. In this verse, however, we have something now, if you're a peacekeeper, and you will continue to have it in the future because nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can take it away from you. Satan can't take it away from you. You can't take it away from yourself. You, there's no way you can lose this. No way you can lose this. And it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. If you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior, ask him to forgive you of your sins. You are a child of God. You are a son of God. Now this is, this is a special title for you and me. It means that you and I have an intimate relationship with the heavenly father that created us an intimate relationship. 
See, God the Father in heaven is not a father that is, lets you, he gave you life and then he's not involved in your life. He's not the type of father that doesn't care. He's the type of father that cares about you and wants to be involved in your life. And so he provided a way for you to have an intimate relationship with him. And so you can be called his son, his child. It's an amazing thing. This is a title, a position, a family member that is equal to what Jesus has. Now, I'm gonna just say this one time. God is one, and there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're three in one. So I want you to know that before I start describing what I'm about to describe. Do not get that confused with there's three gods. There's not three gods, it's three in one. Jesus Christ, who is God's Son, loved you so much because his Father loved you so much that he decided to share his position with you. His intimate relationship with his father, his intimate relationship with himself, he decided to share with you. He shares that title with you. You are a child of God, a son of God, just like he is a son of God. It doesn't make you a God, but it makes you in the same family relationship. That is an amazing thought. This means that when Jesus prays to his father and his father hears him and I pray to the father and he hears me, he hears me on the same level as Jesus. That is an amazing thought. But you say, Philip, I don't think that's right. That doesn't sound right. I know it doesn't sound right. But when the disciples said, hey, can you teach us to pray? Jesus said, well, you start by saying, our father. Whose father? Ours. You mean just ours, right, Jesus? Just the disciples, our father, your father is, no, 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 no. My father is your father because you believed in me and it's a gift. Come on, church. An intimate relationship with your father. You are a son of God equal with Jesus's position. What a privilege. What a privilege. So that family relationship also, because I'm a family God, means that I have responsibilities because I don't know if you know this or not, Jesus had responsibilities while he was here. That means I have responsibilities because I'm a son of God and because you're a child of God. Here's how that works. Um, last Sunday, unfortunately, I had a friend of mine that passed away. He's a pastor of Antioch Baptist Church in Goldston, North Carolina. Um, I grew up with him in in church. He was older than me, but um, he was 53. But uh, he was was a good friend of mine, and I I received a call actually right before I preached at 9.30. I received that call that he had passed away. He woke up, well, he didn't. He woke up that morning, was walking through his living room, and a stroke took him. Um, had a stroke, and his, his wife found him later. Very, very sad. Yesterday, I was able to be a part of that funeral, which was an honor for me to do that. And um, while I was sitting there, I, w- I had this thought, because, you know, there was other things going on, and I was listening, but I also think about other things at the same time, because that's how I'm wired. 
So I was thinking about him and I was thinking about, first of all, he had this series that he was in. It was called um, Rocking Chair Chronicles. Rocking Chair, The Rocking Chair Chronicles. Very creative title. Thought that was good. And he, um, the little tagline to that series was, Things My Granddad Taught Me. So Rocking Chair Chronicles, Things That My Granddad Taught Me. And I started thinking about that a little bit. And it dawned on me, not for the first time, but in a different way, that his granddad was my pastor when I was little. His name was Elmer Cates. Now, Elmer Cates passed away when I was, might, might have been seven or eight. Elmer Cates did. When Elmer Cates passed away, the torch was passed to his son, who I always have called Pastor Cates. I don't even know the man's first name. It's always been Pastor Cates. I know Elmer because his picture was in the hallway. You know those churches that have the hallway of faith, right? Um, Mr. Pastor Cates' picture isn't there because he's not dead. Now, come on. I, I'm just, he's not there. Yeah, that's what you think when you're a kid. So Pastor Cates, so we have Grandpa Cates and Son Cates that took on the mantle and did the, what the father did, right? And then you have this grandchild over here that did the same thing, that took up the mantle of what his granddad did. In culture, especially in the New Testament times, that is exactly how families worked. The dad would spend time with the son and the son would take over the family business. He would train him in the family business. He would train him how to do things. And then that son would take over the family business, work with his dad. When his dad passed away, that person stepped into that role and then trained his son. So the job from the father was always passed to the next son and so on and so on and so on. You and I have the responsibility to do what our father is doing in this world. You see, you and I might not be able to send somebody to the moon and we might not be able to cure cancer. That might not be our deal. But what we can do because we are sons of God is do, it, do what the father has set into motion in redeeming the world. And in our particular case for this series, it's to bring the world peace. God the Father came into the world to, first of all, bring peace between you and him. He wanted to reconcile that relationship. And so he did what it took. He went through the pain of what that took on the cross so you and I could have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ so that we could be called sons of his. And he brought peace to our hearts. He brought peace to our hearts. Because his goal is to bring peace to the world. That is his work. Peace, reconciliation, redemption. That is what the Father is doing. Peace in relationships. And because we have peace with God, we can have peace with each other. So our work of our Father is in part to not only have peace between us and him, but have peace between you and I and all of our relationships the work that the Father is passing on to you and me and our responsibility is to be agents of peace in this world. So this announcement is blessed are the peacemakers because they're already saved. Because they shall be called the sons of God. So let's unpack this little peacemaker thing for a, for a few moments. 
What in the world is a peacemaker? First of all, a peacemaker is not a peacekeeper. So turn to your neighbor and say, peacemaker is not a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper has a different role. They have to keep peace with force. Like, for instance, if you have kids, you've done this before as parents. You go to your room and you go to your room because there is going to be peace in the house. You've done nothing to reconcile the relationship between that, those two children, but at least they're not bickering at each other anymore and hitting each other or whatever they're doing. Okay, you send them to the room. That's a peacekeeper, but that is not a peacemaker. Okay, next, a peacemaker is not a pacifist. Turn to your neighbor and say, a peacekeeper is not a peacemaker is not a pacifist. Not a pacifist. See, a pacifist believes that there should never be war, there never should be conflict in this world. I'm here to tell you that there is always gonna be conflict and war in this world. And to be honest with you, countries cannot lay down their arms. They can't. That protects the borders of a country. That protects the way of life of a country. That is the way this world runs. And until Jesus comes back, people need to protect their countries. I believe the United States of America should protect itself, and I think Russia should protect itself. I think every country in the world should have some type of protection for its people and stand up if somebody's trying to invade them. I, I believe that. A peacemaker is not, we just, we just have to get rid of all our arms and live in peace. That is never going to work. In fact, when Jesus comes back to set up peace, he comes on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth and he wipes everybody out and not a single person in the army behind him even fights. It is like the snap of a gauntlet, but better. Some of you haven't seen that movie. You know, snap of a gauntlet. Thank you, got it. Yeah. I, I like these two right here. I'm not sure about the rest of these people. Gauntlet. So he brings peace to the world in that particular way because evil does have to be eradicated. It has to be eradicated. And then peace comes in with a righteous king, a holy king, the prince of peace, and the Lord of lords. That's what happens. So it's not being a pacifist. Peacekeepers are not people that always bend over backwards for the dysfunctional people in the family. If you're bending over backwards for the dysfunctional person in your family and always catering to them, you are increasing their dysfunction and you have a very whacked out view of peace. Because as you adjust and as you have to go through that frustration, they become worse and worse and worse. And a peacemaker does not bend over backwards for dysfunctional people in the family. Do you love the people in your family that are dysfunctional? Yes. Do you have to put up with their dysfunction? No. You don't. You don't. 
peacemaker does not bend over and pacify people. They are something different, totally, totally different. A peacemaker is not somebody that argues a point until the next person concedes their side of the point. I know that hasn't happened in the last eight months. You've got people really mask-oriented and you have people not mask-oriented. And until somebody concedes their point, there won't be peace. They will not leave you alone. Listen, peacemakers, it's not about people leaving other people alone. That's not what it's about. It's not about shouting your point to the point where the other person concedes. That is not peace. It's not peace. You've just bullied your way in to your position. Just not peace. So what in the world is a peacemaker? A peacemaker in scripture is someone that restores relationships between them and someone else and also helps other people restore uh, relationships between this person and this person. They step in and they become the mediator so that relationship can be healthier in the end. That's what a peacemaker is. You see, That's precisely what God did for you and me. It is Jesus Christ that was the mediator so that we could have peace with God in a relationship with him. Peacemakers, and what we're called to do as children of God is to create peace with each other, to be a peacemaker, to try to make sure that our relationships are what they should be, that they should be wholesome and that we work through issues. That is what a peacemaker does. Now, I've said now a lot, probably say now a lot more. All right, here we go. So just to tell you, I do counsel from time to time, but I only have a certain amount of times that I'll meet with someone. It's not because I don't don't care. It's because I'm really trying to figure out what their temperament is so that I can match their temperament to another counselor that can really help them. That's what I do. Um, I'm good at some things. I'm not good for the long haul in counseling. I'm, I'm just not geared that way. But I can get someone to the place where they can get the help that they need and then I check on them from time to time to make sure they're going to the counseling. So I say that to say this. I often meet with couples that are having issues in their marriage. And I've met with a lot of people over the years and it, it's perfectly fine with me. I don't mind doing it. And so what happens is the woman comes in and the man comes in and each one of those people, when I first meet with them, wants me to take their side. So they come in as lawyers. The guy comes in to tell his side of the story and the woman comes in to tell her side of the story and they want me, the judge, to judge on, yes, she's absolutely right and you're a jerk or no, he's absolutely right and you need to be, you know, it's, it's just that, that way. But what they get when they come to me is someone that doesn't take either one of their sides. That's what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker doesn't take a side. There's only three times in a marriage situation where you really take sides. It's only three times, three times. I'll give you an example of one. I'm not gonna give you an example of the other two. One is adultery. If, you, if you're adultery, that is a different ball game, a different world. You should not have done that and you are wrong to do it. Is that fair enough? I mean, that's the time that you just have to, doesn't matter what went over here, you just took the game to another level and there's a lot more issues now we have to deal with than 
the petty argument about which side of the toast to butter it on. I mean, it's, it's, it's just that way. So what happens is when you're, when you're trying to bring peace between a couple and you get to the end of the time and you say, okay, buddy, this is what you need to do. The wife over here is like, yes, 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 right? And so you're telling this guy what he needs to do, and, and, and he's, he's saying, yeah, right? And then you go, now for you, and she, she's shocked. If I did it the other way, the guy would be shocked. But she's shocked, and all of a sudden, this is what you need to do in order to improve this relationship. He is now saying, yes, finally, right? And, and she's saying, oh my goodness, he has taken his side, and so what happens a certain percentage of the time, and I'm not going to give you that percentage, what happens a certain percentage of the time is these two individuals leave upset at me because I have tried to bring peace between the two of them and they leave calling me names, both of them. He took her side. He, she, he took her side, she took, yeah, you know what I mean. I took each other one of the sides. I can't get that through my brain right now. Anyway, they call me all kinds of names and I have heard these things before, right? And so as a peacekeeper, you're like, oh my goodness, what? I cannot believe that this happened. I really tried to keep this thing balanced and I told them both things to work on. And she says I took his side and he says I took her side and now they're calling me all this stuff. Here's what I know at that point. This is my go-to at that moment. Blessed are the peacemakers because they shall be called the children of God. It doesn't matter what they say about me. My heavenly father is proud of the fact that I was a part of his work on this earth in trying to get two people's relationships resolved in a peacemaker sort of way. And that brings confidence. Let me tell you something about marriage. I've been married 24 years. If you're in an argument with your spouse, you're both wrong. It's not she's always right, it's not he's always right. You're both wrong. I've been at this long enough to know that. Now in an argument, do I think that I'm right and she's wrong? Absolutely. And in the moment, I can give you probably 55 reasons why I'm right and she's wrong in that moment. And if I'm really upset and not in a peaceful mood, I can tell her those in a very unloving way. I can do that. I know it's hard to believe, as nice as I am, that I can get, yes, there is one person in this world that grates on my nerves and at the same time, I love her to death. Come on, that's how you feel about your spouse, right? She can really get to you, but you still love her. And I, I couldn't live without her. I mean, I love, I love my wife. I mean, I think she's absolutely incredible. She is a blessing. She's a blessing. She's a blessing. Very blessed to have her. Yeah, very blessed to have her. Yeah. So here's the point. If we're trying to do what God the Father is trying to do in the world and being peacemakers. There are gonna be people that accept that. There are gonna be people that leave and say, hey, you know, these are some things that I need to work on. I can work on myself. I can't work on them. It, yeah, sure. This is, this is what I need to do. There's gonna be people like that. And then there's gonna be people that want to crucify you because of the peace that you're trying to bring in between them and someone else. If they did it to Jesus... 
they are going to do it to you. And in that moment where they're hammering you hard, the thing Jesus wants you to remember from the beginning of his message is, you are blessed because you are my child and you are doing my purpose. Amen? That is why you are blessed. So let me give you a couple of things about the life of a, of a peacekeeper. First of all, peacekeepers, peace, I keep saying peacekeepers, peacemakers confess sin. They confess their sins. There isn't a peacemaker out there that isn't sinful. There isn't a peacemaker out there that's better than anybody that they're trying to help. A peacemaker has to be honest about their sins. So we have to confess them. In fact, if I have sin on my heart, if you have sin on my heart, on your heart, um, you do not have peace with God. So you have to have peace with God before you can even be a peacemaker. So confess your sins, get those out of the way. It gives you the right attitude, it gives you the right perspective, and then you can do what God the Father wants you to do in being a peacemaker. Second, you need to forgive people as Jesus forgave you. You forgive people as Jesus forgave you. If you cannot forgive someone else for something that's happened, you can't be a peacemaker. How can you help other people come to a point of forgiveness if you're holding something against your brother? And how can you hold something against your brother when Jesus Christ isn't holding any of your dirty, rotten sins against you? Peacemaker is when you are right with God and you have offered forgiveness to other people. Now listen, sometimes you offer forgiveness to somebody and they do not offer it back. That's okay. They have decided not to do their father's business. You need to go back to this passage and say, I've done everything that I can. I have forgiven them. I have tried to show them that I've forgiven them. I've tried to show them that we're moving on. I've tried to show them and show them and show them, but they're still holding that grudge. They're still not forgiving in the other direction. And that's the moment that you say, I've done what I can. They're forgiven. I have peace in my heart because of that. I'm not holding a grudge against them. And I'm gonna let this be. I'm gonna let this be. I'm going to still forgive them that they have not forgiven me. Next is we love as Jesus loved. We love as Jesus loved. I was, I was shocked uh, this past week in a Bible study that we were doing here in 2 Peter where we had Noah that was said in 2 Peter to be righteous. And I think everybody in here would say, hey, yeah, Noah was a righteous man. I know he got drunk afterwards, but I mean, he, he was a righteous man, right? And we, we're good with that. We don't, we don't go like this with Noah, right? Well, right up underneath that passage where Noah is a righteous man, it says Lot was a righteous man. Now, I don't know if you know that story, but if I was given the list of righteousness, Lot would not make that list of righteousness, right? He just would not make that list of righteousness. And so we need to love as Jesus loved. You see, Jesus loved Noah enough to save him in a boat 
from a wicked world. And he loved Lot enough who didn't live right all the time, but believed in Jesus. He loved Lot enough to save him from destruction. Two different sides of the coin, but Jesus still honored that relationship of faith. At the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, I do not have righteousness on my own. It's all also a gift from Jesus Christ, my Savior. So my righteousness and your righteousness is the same. It's amazing how that works. And so I love people, you love people, and a peacemaker has to love people because of this next thing. A peacemaker's heart has to break when they go about the business of peacemaking. There has to be pain involved in the person's heart. It's not pain that I'm gonna inflict on somebody, like I'm gonna stab somebody with some words, it's not that. It's, it's my heart breaks because I have to deal with this particular situation. My heart breaks because the two relationships here that I'm trying to help are not reconciling and they're not willing to reconcile. There's, there's a breaking of your heart that must happen in order for you to be effective as a peacekeeper. It must bother you to the point where you hit your knees and ask God to help you in that process of being a peacemaker between two people. If your heart's not weeping for them, you don't care enough about them to help them with that relationship issue. Are you tracking? So we love as Jesus loved. I would not want to know how many times I've broken the Savior's heart. I say that because you and I do not remember all the sins that we've committed against him. But Jesus continually loves me and forgives me of my sins and wants that relationship to be pure and holy. And that's precisely what I want for you and me. That's precisely what I want for you and everybody else that's in your life. And we, as the church, are the peacemakers of the world. We stand for truth, our heart breaks, but we try to get people to reconcile their relationships with each other to the best of our ability. That's what a peacemaker is. And when a peacemaker is called any other name, any negative name, the thing we remember is our Father in heaven is proud of us because he still calls us his children. Isn't that great? It is great. So, I don't know who you're going to see this holiday season. <whistles> Dysfunctional family members, the people that, you know, you're not really sure about. Maybe there's some tension between you and your wife. Maybe there's some tension um, between you and your Mom and dad, I don't know, any tension, I don't know what that is, but this is what I do know. Jesus Christ wants you and I to walk into those situations and be peacemakers because his desire is for the world to reconcile themselves to him and reconcile themselves to each other. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. for being here this morning. 
I want to thank you for your love for us. I want to praise you for being the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords. I'm so thankful that on your mind was not only salvation, not only redemption, but also peace. We're thankful this morning that we're not just slaves, that we're not just robots, that we're not just little people to you, but we're family members. And it's an honor. It's an honor. It is an amazing thing, Father, to right now be in your presence as you sit on the throne and you listen to this prayer. It's an amazing thing. To be your child and you be our father is mind-blowing. And we so appreciate it. I know just because we're human, Father, and no other reason, there are people in this room that hold a bunch of grudges against other people. And I pray, Father, that through this message that by the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe they'll be pushed toward forgiving those people and letting go of those grudges so that they can have peace in their hearts. Not letting go of them in a disconnection sort of way, but letting go in such a way that they have peace in their heart and they really desire for that relationship to be healed. Because that's what you want. You want all your children to have healthy relationships. And I just pray that you give them conviction and the courage and the strength to take that step and just let it go. It's so hard to let it go. And that's why we need you. Probably the thing about people in this room that are struggling in their marriage and struggling with being a peacemaker in their home, they're, they're struggling with, with bringing peace into their environment. It seems like every time they go home, it's just another argument. It's just another point of turmoil. It's just another point of destruction. And I pray for those people that they'll let go of the petty things that do not mean anything. They'll grab a hold of you and your love and that they'll forgive and have the mindset to be a peacemaker in whatever situation they are in their home. I pray that they will own their part in causing that environment and confess it. I pray, Father, that they will grab a hold of the idea of peace and bringing peace into their home and that they'll live it and you'll give them the strength and courage to do it, even when the other people in the home are slamming them. Encourage them, Father, that you're proud of them, that they are still your child. So, Father, we leave all these situations into your hands and even ones that I did not think of as I was praying. We desire to be a part of what you are doing in the world. And we know part of that is bringing peace. Help us to understand how to be an effective part being a peacemaker. So we ask all these things, we pray in Jesus Christ, our son and our brother. Amen. Let's stand and the altar is open for you if you need it. And um, if you want to join the church, I'll be glad to present you or if